welcome to American Maritime Podcast. I'm your host, Sada Fuentes. Today, we're joined by the president and CEO of American Waterways Operators, Jennifer Carpenter. AWO represents the tens of thousands of Americans who work on America's tugboats, towboats, and barges, keeping commerce moving on America's rivers and waterways. Jennifer, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. With the Jones Act in the news, we thought it'd be interesting for our listeners to dive deep into the Jones Act. Jennifer will, expi- will explain the background of the Jones Act and respond to some of our critics' arguments against the law. Let's get started. Jennifer, could you start us off with a Jones Act 101, what it is, why we have it, and what it means for us? Sure. So the Jones Act is a time-honored American security law that says that vessels moving cargo between two U.S. points have to be American-owned, American-crewed, and American-built. The Jones Act ensures that we control commerce within our own shores. And why does it matter if foreign countries build our ships? We do not want to be held hostage to foreign powers to have the capability to move vital commodities within our own country. We also want to make sure that we have in this country a trained pool of mariners, that we have shipbuilding capacity and capability, which are so important to our military in times of national security emergencies. And is the Jones Act unique? Do other countries have similar laws or do other industries have similar policies in place? I'm glad you asked that because sometimes people think the Jones Act is this uniquely American or uniquely maritime thing, and it's not. Actually, 80% of the world's maritime coastlines are covered by laws similar to the Jones Act. 91 UN member states, which amount for all that coastline, have similar laws. We also have similar laws in other modes of transportation. There's a reason why you've never taken Air China between DC and O'Hare. And that's because there are similar laws in aviation. You can only take US carriers on domestic flights between US airports. Thank you. And it seems like whenever there is a natural disaster or the price of gasoline goes up by a little bit, critics of the law are calling for a Jones Act waiver. Can you tell our audience a bit about what that waiver process looks like? Yeah, so I think it's important to, you know, to understand and remember that there is a Jones Act waiver process. Um, It's important that waivers be available in the event of a genuine national defense emergency. So that is the first criterion for a waiver. It has to be necessary to meet an immediate national defense need. If we have that, and if there is a lack of US vessels to move the cargo that is in the national defense interest, then the president may waive the Jones Act for a limited period of time to meet that need. What unfortunately happens is we often see opportunistic calls for waivers where somebody says, I want to make a little bit more money by using a vessel that doesn't comply with U.S. laws. And that is not what the Jones Act waiver process was meant to do. 
And why does that matter for everyday Americans? Why should they care about an unfair, unjustified Jones Act waiver? Yeah, Sarah, that is a really important question. So obviously, since the Jones Act exists to support U.S. security, unjustified waivers that undermine national and homeland security and our capability to ensure that are bad. Unjustified waivers also take jobs away from American vessel owners, mariners, shipbuilders. But something that I think folks often don't focus on is the fact that unjustified Jones Act waivers are often a way of avoiding taking action that solves the real problem. Oh, we don't have to take action to ensure a reliable energy supply. Oh, we don't have to engage in long-term planning to ensure what we're going to need when we need it, because we can push the easy button and request a Jones Act waiver. That's not good for anybody. That's no, not. And so most of the criticism of the Jones Act does come from libertarian think tanks. What message do you have for new members of Congress who are conservative? Conservatives love the Jones Act. And there is so much for conservatives and all Americans to love about the Jones Act. The Jones Act is all about American security. I don't know of any conservatives who are excited about the idea of China or any other foreign power building vessels to serve American commerce or to support the American military. Conservatives are rightly focused on border security. The Jones Act is about securing America's maritime borders. And how do you respond to critics of the law who say that the Jones Act eliminates competition? I work with the people of the American maritime industry day in and day out. I can tell you from firsthand experience that competition within the maritime industry is vigorous. There is also really robust competition between the maritime industry and other domestic modes of transportation. Barge and rail, anybody? Yeah. Um, what the Jones Act does is ensure that that competition takes place within the framework of U.S. law. Thank you. Uh, organizations that are funded by oil and gas interests often complain about the cost of vessel construction, claiming that, some, that it's so much more expensive to build vessels in the United States versus overseas. Can you explain the difference between U.S. shipbuilding and foreign shipbuilding? Yeah, and I, I want to start by saying that shipbuilding is just a vital industry to American security, and that is why we consistently see U.S. military leaders saying we need the Jones Act. The Jones Act is just a critical part of our having the capability to do what we need to do in peacetime and in wartime. U.S. shipbuilders build world-class vessels. They are innovative. They are top class. U.S. shipbuilders are employing Americans paying American wages, complying with American laws, and importantly, the U.S. does not subsidize its shipyards. That is a real difference from what we see in many foreign countries, both friendly countries, South Korea heavily subsidizes its shipbuilding industry. Why? Because they see it as in their national interest to ensure that they have that industry. China, strategic competitor, heavily subsidizes its shipbuilding industry for the same reason. What I think is interesting is all of these countries, no matter where they're coming from, recognize the importance of shipbuilding. Thank you. 
some people say that American maritime and the strength of our uh, maritime capability only matters on the open waters. But as the representative for American waterways operators, can you tell us why the Jones Act matters for our rivers and inland waterways? Yeah, sometimes people don't realize that the Jones Act extends to inland waterway transportation too. And thank goodness it does. Because can you imagine if we had foreign-owned vessels, foreign-built vessels, foreign mariners basically plying our inland waterways at will, or if we as a country were dependent on potentially foreign state-owned vessels to have the ability to move cargo within the internal waters of the United States, scary. That is why, you know, we have seen the Commandant of the Coast Guard, Admiral Paul Zuckhoff, retired Commandant, say the Coast Guard's job would be so much more difficult if the Coast Guard had to try to keep track of foreign mariners really operating throughout the bloodstream of our country. Thank you. Some say that the people of Puerto Rico, Hawaii, or even Alaska would benefit by relying on foreign flags of convenience rather than the reliable transportation of U.S. goods by American carriers. What would you say to those people? So you used the word reliable, and I think reliable is so important because what the Jones Act does first and foremost when we're talking about these non-contiguous markets is it ensures that we have dedicated American service that is always going to be there. So whether we are talking about grocery store shelves in Puerto Rico, whether we are talking about vital commodities for Alaskan villages that are often not accessible by other modes of transportation, the Jones Act ensures that that cargo is going to be there when it is needed. Now, there is nothing that stops people in Hawaii or Alaska or Puerto Rico from getting a delivery from a foreign country on a foreign vessel if the foreign vessel sees it in their interest to deliver it there. But what the Jones Act does is it says you can count on Americans to bring you what you need. Uh, there's an organization in Hawaii funded by oil and gas interests. Uh, that conducted a study that claimed that the Jones Act increased prices for goods in Hawaii. What factors are really at play in shipping goods to and from Hawaii? Yeah, the Jones Act does not increase prices in Hawaii. Hawaii is a small market. It is an island. It is thousands of miles from many other places in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So cargo that goes to Hawaii has to travel long distances by water or air. And again, it's a, it's a small population. Um, all of those things have costs, whether we're talking about cargo that's moving from the US, it's moving from someplace in Asia. Can you tell us a bit about what happened in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Fiona when you had a foreign-flagged British petroleum vessel parked outside Puerto Rico, creating a clamor by foreign oil traders looking for a waiver? Yeah. You know, unfortunately, what we had there was a cynical manipulation uh, that was intended to put money in the pockets of a foreign oil trader and not benefit the people of Puerto Rico at all. Let's just sort of break it down. So... First of all, there was not a shortage of fuel in Puerto Rico, and that was confirmed by the resident commissioner, by FEMA, by the U.S. Coast Guard. There were, at the same time, U.S. vessels on their way to Puerto Rico to bring even more supply. 
and then you had a foreign vessel owner divert a vessel that was bound for a foreign port, park it off the coast of Puerto Rico, and start clamoring for a Jones Act waiver, literally sending a drone to fly overhead to create pressure for a waiver. Cynical manipulation and gamesmanship. Yeah, that sounds like a really manipulative act done by people who don't have the real interest of Puerto Ricans at heart. So what do the people of Puerto Rico need to, need to know about the Jones Act? Yeah, a lot of things. So thanks for asking. I mean, first of all, the Jones Act equals reliability. The Jones Act ensures a reliable flow of cargo from the U.S. mainland to Puerto Rico. The Jones Act ensures low-cost, efficient transportation for cargo that is moving from Puerto Rico to the U.S. mainland. This amounts for a tremendous amount of Puerto Rican GDP, and the Jones Act ensures that that low-cost backhaul transportation is there. The Jones Act and the American maritime industry provide high-quality jobs for American men and women, including Americans living in Puerto Rico. And there is so much more opportunity there that I really hope more young men and women from Puerto Rico will get into this industry because it provides for a terrific future. The last thing that I want to say is there is even more opportunity for American maritime to be part of the solution to challenges that Puerto Rico faces. We have seen with container ships, American maritime company, companies invest billions of dollars in what is now one of the youngest, most state-of-the-art, environmentally sustainable fleets of vessels anywhere in the world. Um, that same ingenuity, investment, commitment could be put to work building vessels to transport fuel to Puerto Rico on a regular basis. Calls for Jones Act waivers when we don't need them does not encourage that kind of investment. Welcome to American Maritime Voices, your place to be heard. As part of American Maritime, you are critical to moving and securing our country. And now you can help tell the story of Maritime and be part of key decisions that affect it. American Maritime Voices was created to help you speak up, show your pride, and when needed, push back. It's free to become a voice, and we'll keep you informed of what's happening in Washington so you can help change the course of issues that matter most to you. As a voice, you'll get monthly updates, have access to podcasts and videos, and receive action alerts when your voice is needed most. The future of Maritime is in your hands, and its story needs to be told. Will you help tell it? On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one? It seems like every year, the governors of New England states scramble to find the fuel that they need to help New Englanders heat their homes. These governors often point to the Jones Act as the problem. What's really going on? 
Yeah, sure. And, you know, I want to start by saying New England is really historically, traditionally kind of a seafaring region of this country. So there are tens of thousands of American mariners and American shipbuilders who live in the New England states. They don't want to be cold in the winter either. <laughs> so this is not us versus them. This is, you know, we're all in this together. It's really important to think about long-term planning here. And a big problem, unfortunately, that we have in New England is that the kinds of long-term plans that will ensure reliable supply have not always been made. So we don't have pipelines to bring natural gas into New England. That is the most efficient way to transport gas within the country. We don't have in New England uh, substantial liquefied natural gas uh, uh, storage facilities. Excuse me, we also don't have a well-developed infrastructure for receiving LNG in New England. All of that makes it hard to ensure that you're going to have the fuel when you need it. So in, in the absence of that kind of infrastructure, what we then sometimes see are calls for waivers of the Jones Act to move liquefied natural gas to Puerto Rico. I, New England. <laughs> to move liquefied natural gas uh, to New England, uh, as if a waiver will somehow solve for those infrastructure problems or lower the cost to consumers. It won't. You know, New England can import liquefied natural gas if it can find a vessel that fits in with its receiving terminals uh, from Europe or from anywhere else. But the world price for that internationally traded cargo is what's going to be paid. There's no hometown discount. Offshore wind construction presents an incredible opportunity for American maritime to be a part of the next great American energy industry. What are the challenges meeting demand, and can American Maritime keep pace? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I'm really excited about this because offshore wind really is the biggest new opportunity for the American maritime industry in a generation. So we've got a huge opportunity for kind of a win-win situation here, clean energy, American jobs. Now, we are building a new industry from scratch in this country. So there's a lot that has to come together. You know, we're going to need to build purpose-built vessels to serve this new industry. We're going to need to make sure that our port infrastructure and our terminals are ready to handle this new business. We're going to need to develop, you know, domestic uh, supply component factories. We're going to need to train mariners for this new industry. That's a lot to come together. Can we do it? Yes, we can. And we're starting to see some really exciting stuff going on. Um, but we got to keep moving forward because, you know, we don't build a vessel overnight. We build a vessel over a period of a couple of years. So I think it's really important that, you know, we start undertaking the actions now to ensure we're going to have the vessels when we need them. That requires wind developers to identify the specifications, talk to American vessel owners. This is what I'm going to need in 2025. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm going to need in 2026. And then let's get about building it. Critics argue that the Jones Act creates a barrier and a bottleneck to offshore wind development. And they say that we should just let in foreign operators and foreign workers to do this work for us. What would you say to them? I don't know why we would even think of doing such a thing. 
Uh, this is a huge opportunity for American workers, for clean energy in the U.S. We have the capability to build vessels here. We've got mariners to do this work. We just need to get about entering into contracts so that those vessels can be built and those jobs can come to fruition here. It's not surprising that we don't have vessels sitting on a shelf to serve an industry that didn't previously exist here. That wouldn't make any economic sense. So we got to build them. Here's the great thing. The building of these vessels to serve this new industry is not only going to benefit people, you know, in New England states or mid-Atlantic states or California, places where we're talking about offshore wind installations being constructed. Those benefits are going to flow to Americans throughout the country. We are going to be talking about, you know, steel from West Virginia, shipyards in Texas, workers from all around the country collaborating and and jointly realizing the benefits of this massive new investment that is going to be needed. I'm tremendously excited about it. And why we would want to cut that off at the knees, can't imagine. What a great opportunity for all Americans. Really is. And before we close out this episode of American Maritime Podcast, is there anything about American Waterways operators or the Jones Act generally that you'd like to share with our audience? Oh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to brag on AWO <laughs> members a little bit. So, you know, AWO members operate tugboats, towboats, and barges throughout the navigable waterways of the United States, on our inland waterways, on our coasts, on the Great Lakes, in ports and harbors around the country. They are proud of the work they do day in and day out to keep this country supplied, to keep this country secure, to move vital cargo in the most safe, environmentally sustainable way. I couldn't be prouder to work with them and for them. What a great fulfilling job you have working with all these great folks who do so much for our country. I feel pretty lucky to work for them. I'm wearing my propeller right now. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Thank you so much. That's all for this episode of American Maritime Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we hope we'll sh you'll share this with others who care about American Maritime. To learn more, you can visit us at AmericanMaritimePartnership.com. I'm Sada Fuentes, your host, signing off. Mm -hmm.